and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hello, my beautiful people. I hope you're having a fabulous week this week. A big shout out to each of you that have been passing on to your bosses about the DISC personality profiling workshops that we offer. I've had many, many calls this week from people asking if I can come and work with their team to help strengthen their communication and workplace culture. I'm so pumped to let you all know that we've finally opened up the sponsorship application process for Challenges That Change Us. Yep, that's right. If you would love to share your message, product, or what you are doing with our listeners, now is the time to reach out. Applications close on January 30th, so send me an email or DM me in our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us. We will be offering gold and silver packages, and the key is that we need to align that what you offer can help our listeners. Let's get on a call and have a chat. My email is in the show notes or as I mentioned, DM me. Today, I want to welcome back to Challenges That Change Us, Jessica Lawton, who is an all-round superhuman being who I admire and wholeheartedly love. You met Jess in episode 22 where we talked about high-functioning anxiety. So if you missed this episode, jump back in and download it so it's ready to go on your playlist. Today, we chat about something completely different. Three years ago, Jess underwent bariatric surgery, which resulted in her losing 48 kilos. Jess shares with us what led up to that surgery, what challenges she faced, and what post-surgery looked like for her. Before the surgery, Jess struggled to walk to the bus stop with her kids. She struggled to get up and down off the ground. And she struggled to make it through a whole day at work without feeling exhausted and run down. We have a lengthy discussion around Jess's mindset and about how after the surgery, when she got the results that she wanted, her mind still struggled to see things the way that they were. And then she realized that her mind actually needed to catch up to her body. This is a great episode for anyone thinking about bariatric surgery, anyone going through the surgery, or anyone that wants to understand what it is like for someone. It's not very often that a person opens up about what is happening for them internally that leads to such a big life decision. As Jess mentions, she really battled with the fear of being judged. I also went searching for some statistics to share with you all, and I was alarmed with what I found. Based on the latest available data, of adults aged 18 and over, two in three, that is 67% of people are living with being overweight or obesity. That is approximately 12.5 million adults. In March 2022, to mark World Obesity Day, the government launched Australia's first national obesity strategy, which will help to address overweight and obesity across this nation. Obesity is a complex health condition. 
It is influenced by social, environmental and economic factors and can impact a person's ability to maintain a healthy weight and in turn increase the risk of chronic conditions such as cardiovascular diseases and type 2 diabetes, plus some cancers. Making healthy choices is not always easy. The strategy recognises the importance of ensuring all Australians are empowered, enabled and supported to make the best possible decision about their health. I think you guys will all enjoy this episode, so let's get into it. Hi Jess, welcome to Challenges That Change Us for the second time. Good morning, Arles. Thank you. It feels quite special to be on for the second time. I feel, yeah, honoured. You're the first person that we've asked to come back on, so I'm super excited to do this, but it does mean we need to change our initial and last question. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether to feel pleased about being asked to be the second person to come on or not. Does that mean I've got more challenges than the average? <laughs> so Jess, I was having a think about what question to ask you and you've done so much travel in your time. I actually, mm. and you don't know this question is coming, so it's a little sneaky one, but I actually thought of all that travel that you did, what is a special place to you and why? Oh, wow. That's a really big question. I've got so many amazing places that I've been fortunate enough to visit. The thing that probably jumps to my mind straight away, though, is canyoning in Slovenia. We had the opportunity to canyon through freezing cold water and jump from some really high rocks. So we got all fully dressed up in like scuba diving gear and we had these little hoods on and they were minus, I think the water was only like three degrees or something. It was really cold, but it was the most magnificent place in the world, the crystal clear water, this beautiful like forest that we kind of floated through. And then we jumped from these really high rock faces and stuff. It was really cool. So that's probably one of the things that jumps straight to my mind. I've never heard you tell that story before. Where where did you say it was? In Slovenia. Where is that? So Slovenia is sort of central Europe. It's the most incredible places. So probably a little bit still untouched and amazing. Oh. And Jess, you're going to, no pressure today, you're going to be doing a lot more talking than normal because I have a bit of a cold. So we're going to leave you with the mic for most of this session, which I'm pretty excited about because you do have a very big story to tell. We did try and record this actually for the audience. We did try and record this as our first episode, I think like four times, but nothing worked right. The mic didn't work. The computers wouldn't work because it was way back at the very start of this journey of challenges that change us. Yeah, and I think when we started talking about this, we sort of started the talk around my anxiety actually was what we were really focused on and how the anxiety part led to here. Um, And the story sort of got so big that we decided it was best if we broke it down into two separate stories. Yeah, so for those that haven't listened, we interviewed Jess early on and she talked about her high-functioning anxiety. And today we're actually going to be talking about your journey to bariatric surgery, which has been a long journey and a hard road. Do Mm. you perhaps want to start at the beginning? Yeah. So I guess when I was a a child, I, for people looking at me would probably, if if you don't know me, you would assume that I look like this all the time. But um, the reality is that I have struggled with my weight for my whole life. So as a child, I remember being, you know, probably nine or 10 and not wanting to go to swimming lessons because I didn't want to wear my swimsuit. And I was always, you know, not a slim child, certainly not overweight, but I thought I was. And then as I got older, it got more and more clear to me that I was bigger than my peers. 
I guess when I was about 12, I was so disheartened with how I looked and my weight that mum suggested that I go to Weight Watchers with her. And that was sort of the start of my real dieting journey and my real body focus. So from then on, I tried every diet in the book. You know, I was well versed in all the fads and I tried all the exercise, all the diets, all the acupuncture, pills. I did everything you could possibly imagine to try and find this happy weight for my body. So from a teenager, I was always focused on my on losing weight. It was such a big part of my mindset and everything I did focused around how I would make sure my diet was right, how I would make sure I got ultimate exercise to try and maintain something that I was mildly happy with. I never actually found that space where I felt like I was happy with my my body. And then it wasn't until after I had kids, before I was a mum, I had a lot more time obviously to focus on myself. It wasn't until after I had kids that I was diagnosed with a few autoimmune and other conditions. So I have um, polycystic ovarian syndrome and Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So both of those, two of the things that part of the symptoms of those is difficulty to lose weight. Knowing that, I guess, in a way, kind of made it a little bit harder, which also made me give up a little bit. So after kids, I really found it was a struggle to continue on when I didn't have as much time on my hands to really focus on myself. And that's when I really ballooned out to a place where I certainly wasn't comfortable with the way I looked, but also mobility-wise and you know, I couldn't chase the kids around. I couldn't walk to the bus stop. I couldn't tie my shoes up comfortably. And Jess, I'm just thinking when you say that, I mean, like you said at the very start of this episode, if someone saw you now, they it'd be hard for them to believe what this journey's looked like for you. Can we just talk a little bit around what your life looked like at that stage? Because, you know, there was a lot of discussions I know you and I had and you had with other people around what next and what are your options mm. and, you know, it, it really was this r- – from our friendship, one of the most hardest times in your life. I find it very hard to go back to that place because I was so miserable. When I think about who I thought I was, everything related to how big I was. And I guess like I couldn't walk into a shop and buy clothes because I just hated the way they looked and I'd have to go to the biggest size. I was really struggling with just everyday life. You know, my anxiety was at a all-time high because I was so self-conscious about going out and talking to people and seeing people because of the fear of judgment. You know, I felt like I was the biggest person in the room. And it just made, it even makes me emotional just talking about it now. I didn't want the kids, you know, I felt it really hard. I found it really hard to keep up with toddlers and just doing simple things that, you know, now I find easy. Moving was really hard. Any kind of exercise was freaking hard because my body just didn't want to do it. You know, and I tried, I worked so hard on trying to keep moving, but everything was a struggle. And you'd get injuries, you know, we, we spent some mm-hmm. time looking at, at training and like even just being on your hands and knees, trying to do um, exercises on hands and knees, as opposed to even in a standing position would cause pain in the neck or pain in the back. Yeah, I couldn't get up and down off the floor. Everything was just really, really hard. It's even hard for me now. I mean, I had the surgery just about three years ago and even thinking back to that is hard to remember how hard it was because, 
you know, it's, yeah. You want to forget about it. I do. I do. And even now, now when I see photos of myself, then I, like, I, it, it kind of catches me because it's not how I ever saw myself, but also, you know, I can see how much happier and how much better my life is because of that really hard decision I made. Mm. One of the catalysts for me was at my largest, I was, I got to about 105 kilos, which saying that out loud makes me want to vomit, which isn't, doesn't seem like a lot, but I'm only 156 centimetres. So 105 kilos on a small frame is too much. That was post having kids. So before that, when I was going through fertility with to have my daughter, one of the biggest things was that my weight was a problem and that was, you know, 20 kilos lighter. So when I was 80 kilos, they were telling me that I was too heavy and that was affecting our fertility. And to be responsible for that or to feel responsible for our fertility problems and, you know, wanting a baby and wanting a baby was my absolute, you know, that was what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a mum and having to hear that out loud that because of my weight was really tricky, really hard. I can't even imagine, Jess, it would have been, it would have been so difficult. Mm, It was. How did you manage that at the time? I threw myself into trying to do everything I possibly could to change it which probably exacerbated really the problem because my relationship with food was already unhealthy and had been from a young age and it just, you know, spiralled out of control. So I guess my way of trying to deal with it was to try and get as much control back as possible, which meant exercise, restricting, making sure that I was always, you know, thinking about my food intake, thinking about when I was getting my exercise in. It just overtook my life and all I could do was do that. How much of your day would have been consumed with these thoughts? Oh, all day long. Like I'd be, you know, because when you get dressed in the morning, you think about what you look like. When you walk out the door and you walk to work and you can't walk because you're tired because you're overweight, you think about it. When you sit at your desk and you realise you're sitting too long, you think about the fact that you're not moving enough, food, you know, you eat all the time. All you know, I'm, I was always thinking about the next meal and and how I'd make it the most nutritionally balanced and make sure I wasn't, you know. And I think that then exacerbated the issue because once I'd had the kids and I didn't have the time, I read this book about intuitive eating, which was a brilliant book, and I have since revisited it. But at the time, I just took it to the next level. And I thought, well, stuff this. Nothing I'm doing is working, so intuitive, whatever, I'm just going to eat whatever I want. And that's where my weight really got to a point where I knew that I needed to do something. And the other catalyst was a lovely friend of mine that I I worked with. He was an older gentleman. He was just about to retire. And one day he needed a lift home from work. So I was in the car with him and he, he said to me, I need to tell you something, Jess. I've been diagnosed with terminal liver cancer. And for me, I just received some blood results from the GP that said that my liver was not in a good way. I had non-alcoholic fatty liver, which is very common for people who are very overweight. And there was this real moment for me 
where I thought, you know what, if I don't do something now, if I don't make a change, I'm not going to be here to be able to see my kids grow up. And that was probably the moment where, and I'd been thinking about surgery for a long time. I'd been researching it because, you know, I don't do anything quickly. I spent a long time researching, a lot of reading, a lot of talking to people. My GP was very supportive because she'd seen um, how hard I'd worked. I mean, you and I, Isles, had talked about it for many years before I actually made the the decision. Um, the decision was a tough one and, you know, certainly surgery is not right for everybody who's overweight. But for me, given everything that I had worked towards, it was the right decision. And And do you know what? I look back now and think, Thank goodness I was brave enough. Thank goodness that Jess was brave enough to, to take this step because it changed my life. And I couldn't be where I am now if I hadn't made that change. It makes me emotional. <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing, Jess, as a little tear. But I was there's, there's two things, Jess, before we get into surgery. And one of them is when you sat around the doctor saying that, you know, this your life could depend on this. I remember that conversation that you and I had and I, I said the same thing to you, Jess. It does make me cry. But I said, Jess, do you want to be around for your children? Like we're there, we're at that pointy end. And I don't know that we've given enough emphasis to say we have talked about how hard you tried, but I think the other important conversation here for the listeners is, and you used to say this to me all the time, you'd be like, I'll say just assume I eat shit. Mm. You're like people just assume I'm eating chips and drinking Coke and eating takeaway food every single day, but you actually were trying to eat really healthily and your body wasn't responding to it. No, and I think that's something that we all need to be really mindful around people who do struggle with their weight because there is this sort of mindset of, oh, you know, energy in, energy out. You're clearly not moving enough. You're just eating too much. That's not the case for everybody. I mean, certainly before I had the surgery, before I decided on the the surgery, my emotional eating had got spiraled to a place where I was eating far too big portion sizes. But my diet was very, very good. You know, I was eating really good nutritional food. Everything we did was, you know, cooked from scratch. I was really not drinking a lot, all of those things that, you know, you need to do. And I was exercising regularly. So I think that's something that, yeah, to, to kind of be aware of that you don't know what someone might be going through behind the scenes. Certainly if they have got other health issues happening and other conditions that might make it difficult. Mm. Mm. And do you want to tell us a little bit about that journey from thinking about having surgery to having surgery? Yeah. So like I said, I'm not a spontaneous person by any stretch. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I was. But I um, definitely researched the absolute, you know, I researched and researched. I did everything I could to be really, really comfortable. My biggest fears were that it wouldn't work. So I was really nervous because I'd tried so many things that hadn't worked. I thought, well, what is going to change you know, I've done everything before. Why will, why will this work this time? And that was probably the biggest barrier for me, that fear of failure. Once I cracked past that and made the decision, I had the, obviously financially it's very expensive, but also the risk of, you know, a major surgery is not something you put your body through lightly. And the kids were young. So, you know, obviously there was the risk of what happens if something bad happens in this surgery. And it felt very selfish doing that for myself because I had a couple of weeks downtime. And the reality of the surgery is it's not an easy out. 
And I can understand if you have never met somebody who has had the surgery and you haven't been part of their journey, it's really easy to think that having the surgery is the easy easy answer because it seems like, oh, you know, they take part of your stomach and off you go. But unfortunately, it's a real journey. So I am really restricted with what I can eat, not so much what, but how much I can eat. And also things like I can't eat and drink at the same time. I have to be really mindful of my nutrition and make sure that I get enough protein in so that I maintain my muscle mass. I need to be really conscious of bone density and those kind of things into the future. Hydration is really important because obviously with a small stomach, I can't just guzzle a liter of water. I need to be drinking constantly throughout the day. Alcohol is something that is not such a big part of my life anymore, which is great. It works well for me, but that again, it's not for everybody. So it might not be something that if you're a big drinker, it may not be a good choice if you, you know, were thinking about this surgery. And the things I notice, Jess, is when we go out for dinner, you no longer can order what you want on the menu. Like you go straight to the entree and get something small and then give me three quarters of it because food no longer seems like a joy for you. It's not a pleasure anymore. And if we come over and we're getting takeaway, you don't get takeaway. Everyone else gets it. And I have a smoothie. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably what people don't see. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, that's definitely – the the I mean in a way it's probably a lot of people would feel I think remember my father-in-law saying wow what a boring life you're gonna have to lead and you know I guess you could look at it like that but for me that was a choice that I was willing to make because it's actually taken the power away from food for me so it's not occupying my brain anymore because food is really just fuel now there is no emotional well that's not completely true there is little emotional attachment. You know, I still think about food and I still sometimes find myself fridge surfing if I'm a bit bored. I'm thinking, ah, oh, what do I want? But I really don't look for food the way I used to and it doesn't fill my emotional bucket anymore. Jess, one of the other things that I heard you talk about early on in the journey was it's choosing the hill that you die on. Like when you were just saying then about this isn't an easy road, you said to me, oh, this is so hard. In fact, I even think it's the hardest option I've chosen but it's the right option for me. Yeah. I guess the thing I said to myself for a really long time when I was making this decision was being overweight was really hard. Having the surgery was also really hard, but being overweight was harder. So I always, always kept coming back to that. That was my why, really. My why was you know, yes, surgery is hard, but being overweight was far, far harder. And I, you know, three years down the track, I still maintain that, thank goodness I was brave enough to make that decision because, you know, I chose my hard. Jess, one of the things that you also spoke about during that journey was sort of now, now after having the surgery, you realize that you're almost invisible. Like even though you were taking up physical space, you used to use this language, it was like no one saw you or or heard you in the sense that even just walking into the shop, like the shop assistants didn't even acknowledge you. Mm, Yeah. It's something that I really notice now that opportunities arise more frequently, which is a really sad thing. You know, I don't think I realized when I was overweight that it was hard and that, that, you know, 
I was sort of invisible. I really feel now that that I have more opportunity and, and it feels wrong to even say it. But there's obviously a culture of, you know, people who are overweight get, do get treated differently, which is a real shame. And I think, you know, that doesn't help when you have already have limiting beliefs and you already have all that confidence issues when you're overweight. Not everybody does, but some people that are overweight do. You know, then to not be seen by others is really hard. And Jess, thinking about the actual surgery, what did the days leading into the surgery look like for you? Because that was pretty tough. Yeah, so going into the surgery was a really hard decision, but then the preparation for the surgery. So I really needed to drop off my sugar intake because once the surgery had happened, obviously I needed to, to, I was going to be eating very, very little. So I needed to prepare my body for that. I had two weeks of liquid diet beforehand, which is um, normal for these surgeries. So they put you on a liquid diet to shrink your liver. So it's safe for them to operate. And that was probably one of the hardest parts, to be honest, because that took pure willpower. Um, and that was really where I had to be really, really mindful of my why, what I was doing this for. The surgery, for me, everything went really well. So I was really fortunate. Not everyone has such a smooth sailing, but I luckily did. The recovery was pretty good. I think it was a six-week recovery, but it was quite a few weeks of liquid diet. Um, and then puree food, and then you progress on to, you know, mush, and then you progress on to real food again. So I probably didn't really eat proper food again for four or five months after surgery. I was quite restricted anyway in my diet because I have got a few food allergies and bits and pieces anyway, um, and I was already eating fairly well. So I had the luxury of not really needing to change what I was eating so much as just the portion sizes. So You know, when I first had the surgery, I was eating probably less than a teaspoon per meal. It was tiny. And then gradually, you know, it was a quarter of a cup. And now most of my my meals are probably, I probably have half a cup to a cup of food each, each meal. And I focus on the protein because the protein is the important part of the food. So I always have my protein first and then followed by vegetables and then I usually have a few carbs if I've got space left. So you mentioned you're three years on from surgery. What does life look like for you now? So three years on, I'm really pleased with where I'm at. It's been a journey. I thought that losing weight would fix everything. I thought losing weight would make me the happiest person alive because over all these years, I spent 20-odd years dreaming, you know, every year I'd write lose 30 kilos on my goal list. When I finally smashed that goal, so I lost 48 kilos in total, when I finally smashed that goal, it was like this massive hole because I'd been working towards it for so long and then all of a sudden I'd made it. And because the weight loss happens so quickly, it takes time for your mind to catch up with your body. So I kind of, I had a bit of body dysmorphia. You know, I'd look in the mirror and not really sure that it was me that I was seeing. It was sort of like, oh, And, you know, I remember one time, Iles, you and I were away somewhere and I'm saying to you, yeah, but look, I've still got all this. And you're like, I'm not sure what you're showing me because I'm not seeing what you're seeing. In my mind, I was still really um, conscious of of how I looked and, and that it wasn't you know, this perfect kind of result. And it was sort of that first realization, wasn't it, Jess, that you and I both had together to be like, you know, 
yes, losing the weight from a health perspective and a functional perspective has changed your life forever for, for the good, but mentally and in your mind, there was still a bit of a road to go. Huge, yeah. And, you know, I'd been seeing a dietitian, I'd been seeing um, an exercise physiologist, I'd been, you know, really working on my on my exercise and my nutrition, but the one place that I probably hadn't done enough work was with my mindset and around the psychological side of the weight loss. So um, I was really fortunate. I saw this fantastic bariatric coach in Coffs Harbour and she really helped me to put some of those things to place. And I was, I think, you know, you helped me as well. And then I did a lot of hypnotherapy when I was doing my hypnotherapy training, which really enabled me, I guess, to start that kind of, I guess, cognitive restructuring around my, my self-talk certainly, but also these years and years of pain and suffering and emotional relationship with food. And that's sort of why I guess I went into the work that I'm doing now because I saw how valuable it was to be able to talk to somebody who understood. And that was one of the hardest things because you'd go to a GP or you'd go to, you know, you a, a dietitian or you'd go see an exercise, you know, a PT and they'd be like, just, just eat less and exercise more. And so it was really helpful when I started to really work on the, on the psychological side. And what were some of those core beliefs, Jess, that you had to face head on? What are some of the language or the words that you had been telling yourself or the story you'd been telling yourself? I think the biggest story was that without, you know, that the weight was holding me back and that with that weight on that everything was going to be hard and as soon as I lost it that everything would be great. That was the biggest kind of story and the realisation I had when I finally got the weight off that mm, maybe it's part of it but reality is that there's a lot of other things happening that I hadn't addressed. I was really struggling to change because I think some of my old behaviours were meeting a need. <laughs> And looking back now on that, you know, I think you've even asked me before, Jess, do you think you could have lost the weight knowing what you know now? Do you think you could have lost the weight without doing the surgery? And while I think definitely it could be done, I needed that line in the sand. I needed that physical barrier and that hormonal shift that I got from having part of my stomach bypassed to allow me to move on because there was a physical, something stopped me from doing it. I felt sick if I ate too much. And probably the other big one is getting comfortable with discomfort. So through this journey, I've really realized that I don't like to feel uncomfortable. I don't like hard exercise. I don't like being restricted from things that I like to do. I like to have control. And this has been a huge growth for me, probably mostly in the last 18 months really, where I've realized that being uncomfortable is okay. It's not going to kill me. And that goes to, I guess that's talking more about my feelings than anything else. Because while I you know, I really now am working towards my my mindset and being able to sit with my feelings more and be uncomfortable sometimes and it's not the end of the world. And is that hard, Jess? <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. And even being here doing this is really uncomfortable because while I really want to share my story, I also am really fearful of being judged. And I'm also... You know, I guess in a way I'm really proud of what I've achieved. 
but there's always this little part of me that's like, oh, what did you need? You know, why did you need to have the surgery? Couldn't you have done this on your own? There's still this little tiny part of me that goes, well, you know, thinks that other people might be asking me that or thinking that about it. Whereas I know and I'm comfortable with my decision because it has really changed my life. And I think that point you just made there, Jess, is probably what every single guest that comes on the show says to me. It's like, I want to share my story if it's going to help others. Like you can be really clear on that why, but that fear of judgment, I had it when I told mine, Mm. I'm doing an interview this afternoon with someone and they're just like, why will my story help someone else? Or what will people think of me when they actually hear what goes on inside my head? I think that's very real. And you and I discussed at length whether to come on like this for you, is it fair to say, Jess, this was a lot harder to talk about than talking about the anxiety? It's hugely hard and you're spot on. You know, I think my why, my reason to be here is because if somebody else hears that, you know, there is hope. When you are feeling uncomfortable because you're overweight and not everybody who is overweight feels uncomfortable, you know, I'm all for, you know, body positivity. I think um, there's some great movement out there around, you know, being really comfortable with who you are and I'm absolutely on board with that and that's something I'm working with myself to be more comfortable with who I am. But if it's holding you back and if your health is affected and I just I want people to know that there are options and it's not completely hopeless. There are ways, whether it be weight loss surgery or not, it may just be working on your mindset. There are ways to, to work through it and you're not alone. Mm, mm. And I think we spoke about that at the beginning, Jess, for you. And I, I don't know if we painted the picture, but for you, you could not get up and down off the ground. You actually couldn't walk to the bus stop. Like that That genuinely was part of the toughest part of your day. I remember you say to me like, I can't walk up the road to the bus stop. It really was having an impact on your function in everyday life. It definitely was having an impact on your mental health on a daily basis. And the doctors had also said that, you know, you're at risk. You wouldn't see the next 10 years, I think was what they said to you. If you want to be around for your kids, you had to do something. So, you know, I think there is a difference also when it does come to health, when there's that, when you're being told by someone that works in the industry that you're heading down a tough road and you've got some choices to make. I think having that really honest conversation with yourself around, well, what am I prepared to do in this space? And finding out what the options are, like you said, it might be different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone's taken a different journey to get here. So what their journey looks like from here will be different. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the 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 thing that you really need to do is really, you know, seek out those people around you that will support you. Find a great GP, find a great dietitian, find a great exercise phys or a PT, somebody that you can trust and talk to, find a good coach or counsellor or therapist, somebody that can help you to work through some of that, you know, those feelings. Make sure you have family and friends that are supportive of you um, and a community around you I think is really important. Mm-hmm. And just something we haven't spoken to yet is around how you managed other people's reactions because this was very real. I remember you saying to me, when I go back to the office, I've lost 20 kilos or 30 kilos. I can't remember exact what it was at the time. And you're like, people are going to notice. What am I going to say? Because you weren't quite ready in that moment to tell everyone that you'd had the Mm. surgery. It's weird, isn't it? I haven't thought about that for ages. But yeah, I guess because I did a lot of my my weight loss during COVID. So I had my operation in 2020, in the middle of 2020. So I was working from home. 
people were seeing me on Zoom calls. But when I actually finally went back into the office, there was this massive feeling of like, holy moly, people didn't recognize me. And you know, while that was really fun, it was also a little bit like, wow, what did I look like before? And I don't think I realized how big I was. I certainly didn't. And I remember, you know, I'd actually have to say it's Jess and they'd be like, oh, because I did look so different. And I remember walking into my colleague's desk one day and he had a slideshow of photos and we we had a lot of sort of photos and stuff that we used for our facilitating courses and things. And there was this photo of me on the screen and I just looked like a different person. And I just said to him, you you have to turn that off. I can't even look at it. It was this real kind of um, moment of discomfort because I was like, wow, did I even look like that? But yeah, I mean, going through meeting other people and meeting or meeting people again after not seeing them for a long time. But even, um, you know, my brother recently came home from Canada and he hadn't been home for four and a half years. And when he came home, like he was just like, oh, you're so little <laughs> because he hadn't seen me since, you know, he, obviously we'd, he'd seen photos and, he, and he'd seen me over the, over the phone, um, over video calls. But yeah, it's just a, it's, it's different. How did you manage that, Jess, with the people around you in the external world? I guess I kind of had I had a plan for what I was going to tell people and I didn't tell people at first that I was going through what I what that I went through surgery um some of my closest um work colleagues and and obviously my close friends all knew my family and they were supportive but it was really kind of it was awkward at times because people would make comment about your weight and I would just say thanks so much I feel great so whenever somebody would say oh you look so different or you've lost a lot of weight I'd just say thanks so much. I feel great because th- that's the truth. I didn't sort of open up for them to to comment anymore. A few people asked me, actually lots of people asked me, what's your trick? And for those that I felt, you know, that I felt comfortable with, I'd just say, look, I had some weight loss surgery. It's been a journey, but, you know, it's been a good journey for me and this, is the, this was the right thing for me to do. And, you know, most people were pretty good. There were quite a few people that said, oh, that's the easy way, which is hard to hear. Because it certainly is not the easy way. But I see, you know, if you don't know any better, of course you think that's the easy way. So that was tricky. But as the most part, people have been very, very supportive and, and yeah, positive around it. Jess, there was a few strategies that you used during that time to help, particularly with your mindset. Are you able to share some of those with us today? Yeah. Yep. I guess I still I still use most of them on a daily actually. The big one for me is being curious around how I'm feeling. So when I am feeling emotional or something that I would maybe in the past have thought about going looking for something in the fridge or I would, you know, maybe take myself to a cafe and look for some food to to numb my feelings. And I guess any addiction is a little bit like that, isn't it? Where you, you know, you you think that in that moment, the thing that you need is going to fix things and kind of, I guess, living in the moment rather than thinking about the future is what we do when we are addicted to something. So for me, I really am curious now about that feeling. I, I, I think about it and I stop myself by catching it. So I catch the feeling. I'm like, okay, I'm having, I'm having a feeling that might not be super helpful. I check it. So I look at it and think, well, 
do I actually really, am I really hungry or am I just, is it my brain telling me that I'm hungry? And then I correct it. So I go, well, what do I actually need here? Am I just feeling a bit bored? Do I need to quickly go for a quick walk around the block? Do I need to have a drink of water? What can I do to change it up so that I'm not looking for food? And I mean, you can use that for any, you can use that strategy for anything. It might be scrolling on your phone. You know, again, you catch yourself doing it you check, what am I doing this for? What was I even here for? I came to check my text messages, not look on Facebook. And then you can correct yourself. So I guess that's a strategy that I use all the time. And the other one is that this realization, which is when I had this realization, it was, I guess, an epiphany that was a good and a bad one. So the good part is that I'm in control of my thoughts and the bad part is that I'm also in control of my thoughts. (laughs) So realizing that I can actually make the decisions and that I'm the one that this affects. Because before there was part of me that was like, oh, somebody else will worry about that. But the reality is I'm the only one who can change how I think and I'm the only one who can do the work around it, which is hard and hard and awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it's so true. And I don't think we give enough credit to that space. You know, we really do have control of what happens between our two ears. And I think so often we let it run wild or we let it do whatever it wants to do without actually checking in, like you said, catching it, checking it and correcting it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Jess, that's huge. I I guess thinking, because I know we've got to finish up soon, but there's one part we haven't spoken to, and I know this is going to be very hard for you to speak to, but <laughs> the big part, and I think we need to honour this space, is your fear of relapse because that's probably when we spoke about what is one of the reasons why you would not come on and do this episode today is because of the fear of relapse. Do you want to speak to that for just a moment before we yeah. finish? Yeah. This is um, when I was talking about when, when I was making the decision, I think this is one of the reasons that it felt like a really hard decision because I you know, was following a lot of different people who had gone through the surgery and lots of people regain their, their weight and they relapse in all different ways. There's a really high incidence of alcoholism after having bariatric surgery because obviously if you can't eat and drink at the same time, sometimes people drink instead of eating and that is something that could be very real for someone too. So, yeah, the relapse part really still, it still makes me nervous and it's still a a focus that I have. And it's the thing, it's actually, I think it actually helps me because it makes me careful about how I respect the tool that I have. And I call my surgery a tool because it is what it is. You know, I could still blend all my food and and still eat any crap I wanted to. I could still, you know, choose all the wrong nutrition and stop moving and sit on the lounge all day and that wouldn't help my weight. So I guess I've really had to work hard with my therapist but also with my exercise support, so my PT, my Pilates teacher and my nutrition, like my dietitian, to really be really clear about what it looks like for me to maintain this weight. And I've been maintaining now for over two years, so two and a bit years. And I feel pretty comfortable that I've found what works for me. And yeah, I might not be as fun as I used to be because I, you know, food and drink isn't my <laughs> my everything. But I do think that in a lot of ways it's it's actually 
I'm doing more things than I ever was before. You know, I'm, you know, I'm riding my bikes, bike with the kids. I'm, you know, an active part in the surf club. I'm going to events with the kids and actually participating instead of, you know, sitting on the edge. I'll put my swimmers on now and swim in the in the ocean or in the lake or in the pool with the kids. You know, I've got this newfound confidence, which is really, really valuable. And I feel like I'm sort of finding myself again and really feeling like I am yeah I'm 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 worthy of taking up space. Oh, Jess that's so beautiful. You are worthy. Hmm. <laughs> Thank you. You make me cry. I'm crying. <laughs> Jess just to finish up, I'm wondering what you would say to the 10-year-old girl to Jess at 10 now after this journey because it's been decades. Mm. Do you have any advice for her? Oh wow. I mean my my little girl is 10 next month. Close to home. <laughs> really close to home. And this is something we haven't talked about but obviously what them watching me go through a big weight journey has been tricky because we are very very careful about how we what the body image part for them um, because while they've seen me lose weight we don't talk about weight like that we talk about it as as health. You know, we really focus on this is what we, this is how we eat because it makes us feel good and we want to be strong and, you know, we, we really avoid talking about weight any way we can. So I'd say to that 10-year-old girl, just love yourself for who you are and be proud of who you are. Like that that little girl and, you know, the, the preceding girl, you know, the girl that made the decision to have the weight loss surgery, I mean, I'm really proud of her and I think that's what I'd say. That's what I'd say. Just love love who you are. Coming to an end now, Jess, we haven't discussed what is on the cards for the next 12 months and what you're doing now with work because you're doing some pretty amazing stuff. Part of what you do is working, you and I go out and we run workshops together in the corporate space, but there's a whole nother segment to your work. You've just finished your hypnotherapy and you're doing some work with bariatric clients as well. Are you able just to tell us a little bit about what you're doing and how people find you? Yeah, so I guess I'm still dabbling in the leadership space, which is uh, an area that I love and I enjoy being in that part. But I'm working with people who are working on weight management, predominantly bariatric patients or people who are thinking about going through surgery. And it's such a rewarding part of what I do because I really feel like I understand and I'm able to provide some kind of support but also help them to see all the things that it took me a lot longer to see, which I find really, really valuable. So that's sort of where I'm going. I'm using a mix of psychotherapy, um, hypnotherapy, coaching, and a few other tools to really move people forward in their journeys. And how do people find you? We'll be popping it in the show notes as well. Oh, yeah. So um, my business is called The Mind Emporium. I have a website which you can book appointments through and I've got an Instagram and a Facebook page. So, I'll yeah, we can link the details onto there. But thanks. And Jess, we love to finish up. Usually we ask about who or what in your world truly makes your belly laugh, but we did that last time as a returning guest. Why don't I ask you today, how do you fill up your bucket, your self-worth, your self-love bucket when it needs a little bit more nurturing and you need to give back to Jess a little bit? What are some of the things that you do? Yeah, I'm really, I've become an expert at this, especially in the last 12 months since I've been going a little bit slower pace and doing what I want rather than what the world wants me to do. So I've been really catching up with people that make me feel good, swimming in the ocean, 
doing stuff with the surf club, which is a community-based thing, being able to join in with the school bits and pieces with the kids, basically really having that time and making the space for the things that that are important to me. Thank you so much, Jess, for coming on. I know this was a tough conversation to have. As we mentioned, we we hummed and art about it for a long time, but I do, I really think it will be valuable for so many people on so many levels, people that are thinking about bariatric surgery, people that have never thought about it, but want to understand it, people that have people going through that process. You know, it's, it's not very often that someone opens this world up to others, you know, pulling back the curtains and talking about how it really was, the good, the bad, the ugly, all parts of it. And I think I think you've been really honest here today. Thank you. Thanks for your time and thanks for holding the space for me. That was a pretty cool strategy that Jess gave us, the catch it, catch the feeling, check it, what's going on here, and correct it. What do I need to do here? She talks about being the only person that can do the work and that she has control over her thoughts. As Jess mentioned, she feared being judged. What will you guys think of her? Why couldn't she just lose the weight on her own? So jump on our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, and drop a comment to Jess if you found something in this episode helpful or interesting. What this does is lets other people know that sharing their story, even though it's scary, can really help others. And also don't forget, we have the sponsorship applications open. Send me an email or DM me, get the information. This is going to go quickly. So I would love to hear from you. And otherwise, I will see you guys all next week. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.